0: I did, I did, I did the Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Husky Talk. Our guest today has been involved with the Iditarod for over 15 years with the Iditarod Air Force. He is the chief pilot in McGrath, one of the Iditarod checkpoints and airport hub. He lives in Alaska and is a FedEx pilot when not volunteering for the Iditarod. Please welcome to the show, Wes right, sounds.
1: All right, that sounds great. Hello, Wes, and welcome to the show. Well, hello, and thank you for having me today.
0: Before we get started, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, well, my name is Wes Erb, and uh, this year, I am acting as the Iditarod Air Force Chief Pilot. And uh, I live in Flat Lake, uh, which is Flat Lake, Alaska which is a couple hours north of Anchorage. And uh, I've lived in Alaska for a little over 30 years now.
2: So we know you've been a, you are a pilot and you work for FedEx. What are you interested,
1: Wait,
2: what, what got you interested in being a pilot?
1: Um, I would have to credit my father for that. He was a builder by trade but he always loved flying and aviation. And I remember uh, he had an airplane when we were growing up, a little airplane. And he took me flying when I was about six years old, I guess. And I remember that day now, just the first time that I'd ever been flying. And I just remember it just amazed me that we could fly and see the farm from up in the sky and the mountains and it was really beautiful, it just struck me. And I think then I knew I I wanted to fly and then later on I figured out I could make money flying because that was even better.
0: <laughs> Being a pilot gives you the chance to volunteer for the Iditarod Air Force. Let's talk a little bit about the Iditarod Air Force. Can you start off by telling us what the IAF is?
1: Sure. Uh, And it's it's a really interesting thing because a lot of people know about the Iditarod race. It's a dog sled race from Anchorage, Alaska, all the way up to Nome, Alaska. But it covers over a 1,000 miles through mostly remote interior Alaska where there are no roads, no way to get there. Well, if you're going to support a race like this and have mushers go to all these remote checkpoints, The only way to get the people and the food and the fuel and the tents and to move dogs around and veterinarians and all the people that are required, you have to do it by airplane. So when the race first started, they actually started with just one pilot name was Larry Thompson and uh, Larry Thompson had a Cessna 180 and he supported the whole race all by himself moving all the dog food and bales of hay and things like that over the years it's grown now uh we have anywhere between 20 and 25 pilots that volunteer each year to show up they bring their own airplanes and the uh the Iditarod buys the gas for them and we provide support for the whole race. So all the logistics and all the uh, all the things that are required to put on a race a thousand miles long basically goes in little airplanes up and down the trail. And the Iditarod Air Force is just that collection of volunteer pilots who come together every year to fly the race. And some of our pilots have been, been do- flying the race now for, Gosh, over thirty years. Um, I myself have been flying the race for maybe about twenty years, but uh, it once you get started doing it, it's a lot of fun. And so we have the same guys come back every year, mostly. And um, you don't get paid, but you have a lot of fun doing it. So that's that's why people keep coming back.
0: Has the Idaho Air Force been a part of the race since its start fifty years ago?
1: Yes, it has, and in, in fact, uh, you you could not have one without the other. We we really have a, a symbiotic relationship here. The the Iditarod race simply could not be put on without air support, and um, the Iditarod Air Force couldn't be without support from the Iditarod. So <laughs> we need each other, and it's a it's a very good, healthy relationship. But yes, the Iditarod Air Force has been, um, since the very first pilot, Larry Thompson, uh, back in 73, I think uh, he was the first guy. And so there's always been an Iditarod Air Force as long as there's been an Iditarod.
2: How did you get involved with the Iditarod Air Force?
1: Uh, (laughs) It's kind of a funny story. I used to take my airplane and just fly up and down the trail watching the dogs go by and watching the mushers, I really enjoyed Iditarod. I was just watching it as a uh, as a fan. But one day I was in McGrath, McGrath, Alaska. It's one of our major hubs for the Iditarod. And I ran into a friend of mine who was working in Iditarod Air Force. And what I noticed is he got to go up to the fuel pump and he filled up his tanks. It didn't cost him anything. They were letting him stay in the bunkhouse that was warm and dry, and they were feeding him three meals a day. At the same time, I was in a tent. It was really cold, and the gas was expensive, and uh, I realized he had a lot better setup than I did. So I asked then, how can I be a part of the Iditarod Air Force? And back then, it was a lot easier to get on. Um, I just talked to the chief pilot, and he said, sure, show up next year. And so I did, and it's, I've been flying ever since. Uh, We now have a lot more, I think a professional process of finding new pilots. And we we go through their background and history and make sure that they're qualified and the most competent pilots we can find for the race.
2: Here he answered.
0: What kind of plane do you and most of the other pilots fly?
1: Uh, Most of our aircraft are all the same type. They're called Cessna 180s or Cessna 185s. They are uh, kind of small airplanes. They're four passengers. Uh, They're all tailwheel aircraft for the most part, which means they have two wheels up in front and then a little tailwheel in the back. And for the most part, we put them on skis. So these air, air out of the 21 aircraft that we have, I think uh, 18 of them are 180s or 185s on skis. Uh, so we can go in and out of these ski strips quite well. We do have a few aircraft that are used to move passengers around and big bulky items. And those are uh, one of them is a Cessna 206, which is a kind of a larger Cessna, uh, but it's got a, a, a regular landing gear on it, three wheels, and but it can haul a lot of stuff. And then we also have a couple of uh, Piper Saratogas, and these Saratogas are good at hauling passengers. So we can put three passengers each in these airplanes and move them around very efficiently. So it depends on what job we're doing, depends on what airplane we send for that job.
2: Since you're flying in remote Alaska, are there any necessities you bring with you?
1: I'm sorry, what was that again?
2: Since you're flying in remote Alaska, are there any necessities that you always carry with you?
1: Yes, it's a very good question because the places we're going uh, there's not a lot of support. There's no, there's no one out there. So you have to fly to at least be able to take care of yourself in the event that you either need to stop short of your destination, or if you had a mechanical problem and you had to land, uh, or if you get bad weather and you have to, you have to land to wait out bad weather. So all the pilots carry basic survival gear with them which uh, usually works out to be a small tent, um, a small heater to stay warm with, some food, uh, really good sleeping bags, um, a small first aid kit, uh, you know, things of that nature that would allow you to stay overnight in the cold winter <laughs> without support and uh, you know, survive over the night. So every pilot has something different, but there's a basic survival gear that they carry. In addition to, you always need a bag of tools because there's things that, that break uh, along the way. And so you need a set of tools as well. So the pilots all that I know, they all carry a little tool bag and a survival kit.
0: What are some challenges in being a volunteer for the, for the Iditarod Air Force?
1: the challenges from the pilot point of view is uh, uh, one is trying to find the time off because it is a long race. Uh, you know, the, the winner takes nine days and the race moves over a period of several couple weeks. So it's sometimes a challenge to find enough time in your life to dedicate, to go fly for two weeks at a time. Uh, but some of the more, Uh, I guess, challenges that might come day to day are the flying that we do, it can be very cold. Uh, There are many times, especially in the interior of Alaska, when we're flying around, it's minus 40 degrees. And at minus 40, it's hard to get anything to work. Uh, So we have to be real careful about how we treat the airplanes and how we preheat the airplanes so that they'll work. Um, So the cold is is definitely a big challenge. Weather is the other challenge. Uh, The weather in Alaska can change very quickly. And there's not a lot of weather stations to tell you what's going on. So many times you'll have to go hundreds of miles without really knowing what the weather is along the way. So you're constantly judging, is the weather good? Is it changing? Do I need to turn around? Do I need to go to a different destination? So weather is another big one that's a challenge. And then the third is there's just not a lot of landing areas, especially with fuel. So you have to make sure that when you take off, you have enough fuel to go to where you're going or divert to another place. uh, Because there's just not that many places to land. You're going to have to figure out, always have a plan B um, in case you can't get to your original destination.
2: Have you had any plane troubles while flying for the editorod?
1: Oh, you know, I I wouldn't say I've had, there's always some challenges to the aircraft, especially when they're that cold. You know, sometimes you you go out to the airplane and the tire's flat. Well, (laughs) so, because it just doesn't like the cold weather. Sometimes the engines don't like to start. Sometimes batteries, uh, batteries die. So uh, they, we have to charge them up. Sometimes the engines have problems. We don't typically have too many aircraft problems in flight. Um, personally, the uh, I, the most challenging problem I have is when I I lost uh, my electric power uh, while flying. Now the engine the engine doesn't need electricity to run, so it ran just fine. Uh, but all the electrics in the airplane stops. You don't have any lights or radio. Your navigation equipment shuts off. Uh, so it was really basic flying again, kind of like what they used to do <laughs> way back in old days. So, uh, But fortunately, I was in an area that I knew very well, so navigation was pretty easy. But uh, that's probably the most problem out of the airplane. The other problems been flying usually are revolve around dogs. Um, sometimes moving dogs is a very challenging thing because they can get in a fight or cause problems back there. And it's hard sometimes to keep the dogs in line if they're being rambunctious.
0: Since you're a volunteer, do you provide the fuel and care for your plane?
1: Uh, partly. it's It's shared the Iditarod Air Force pilots show up, they bring their own airplane, and they have maintained that <laughs> airplane for the whole year. When they show up on Iditarod, uh, Iditarod purchases our fuel for us. So that's good, because it's really expensive. And if something breaks during the race, the the race will uh, uh, replace that part uh, for the pilot. So once you start flying for Iditarod, it doesn't it doesn't cost you any money out of pocket for fuel or for maintenance um i will say after the race it it usually does add up costing the pilot because the airplanes airplanes take a tremendous beating while they're on the race and you usually don't find that <laughs> until later on so i I would say I probably spend quite a good amount of money after the race just fixing all the things that have gotten broken or bent.
2: <laughs> How does being a pilot for the idea of affect <laughs> your real job?
1: Well, for my real job uh it, at FedEx, it's in a larger airplane. It's uh it's an MD eleven aircraft, which is it looks like old DC ten, but large aircraft. I mean, they weigh, you know, over 600,000 pounds and we go from Anchorage to China and back, but it's a different kind of flying. It's, it's up in 30,000 feet and we fly for eight, nine hours at a time. The Iditarod flying is a lot different. It's very close to the ground and it's very short missions, less than one hour. And there's no one really to help you. What I, what I think it brings to my real job is that uh, I I take to it a lot of the skills that I've learned in Iditarod about how to fly an airplane safely and reliably and how to take care of it. And I think it made me a better pilot for FedEx as well, the same things. I, I know how to take care of the airplane and uh, always thinking about uh, what's plan B, where can we go? Uh, so I think that both of them uh, bring good benefits to the other <laughs>
0: what would you say is the best thing about flying for the Iditarod?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And I have to think about that every year because it's, it's a large expense. It, it, it costs me a lot of money, costs me a lot of time, costs me a lot of vacation. So there must be something about it that draws me to do it. And I, I keep coming back to the same two things. Probably the most important thing is the people that I see. Uh, the, you see the same volunteers year after year. And so it becomes like family. It, you seem like it's a family family reunion every year. You see everyone and you get to see them and work with them. And that's the thing that that really probably motivates me the most. The second thing is that Alaska is beautiful. It's beautiful to be able to fly around, especially in the winter and see all of Alaska. And I wouldn't have a reason to do that if it wasn't Iditarod. I I probably wouldn't get out as much. And so it gives me the opportunity to see this beautiful state and have someone else put gas in my tank and feed me and give me a warm bunk at the end of the night. So it's a good trade.
2: Tell us something that people probably don't know about the Iditarod
1: Air Force. You know, they, they probably don't even know that it exists for the most part. You know, most people, I think, tune in and they see the mushers start the race and they see the mushers come in at Nome and they see the mushers a little bit in the middle. I think most people don't understand that when they're tuning into, you know, 30, 40, 50 mushers, there's, there's a thousand volunteers behind them making that possible. And without all those volunteers working, the race just couldn't exist. And I think the Iditarod Air Force is just one section of volunteers that I'm not sure most people even understand that it happens. They just think it's magic, (laughs) you know, that, you know, these mushers, when they show up at a checkpoint and all the dog food is there, the bales of hay and straw are there for the dogs to stay warm, their food and the fuel people are there. They probably don't think, how did all that happen? So I think the Iditarod Air Force is probably one of, you know, certainly a very important segment of Iditarod that people just don't really think about why it's there. Um, And most of the volunteers would probably agree that uh, people watching the race, just as fans, maybe don't understand that there's a much bigger race going on behind them. A thousand volunteers all working to make sure that those mushers get down the trail. And I think it's a fascinating story, really.
0: Our final question is the dinner party. You are able to invite five I dinner on Icons to dinner, living or dead. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you invite to your dinner party?
1: Wow. Wouldn't that be cool to pick five people to have dinner with? That You know, <laughs> you know, i guess living your dead that would be great um Yay. i would probably start off with uh you know, joe reddington senior because he he thought of this race and was the father of it so it would be great to have joe reddington senior sit down and i could ask him why did you even think he wanted to do this that would be great um another would be um you know, I always liked Libby Riddles. Uh, Libby Riddles was the first woman to win the Iditarod, and was just a really interesting woman. She's really uh, to to take on that race. You know, was a really big thing back then. So, she would be really great to invite to dinner. Um, let's see. One of my favorite mushers is he's a next door neighbor of mine here in Big Lake, Alaska. But his name's Martin Boozer, and Martin Boozer is uh one of the funniest guys I've, I've ever met as far as mushers go. Uh great sense of humor and he 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 embodies I think the spirit of the race and that he's he he really gets involved with promoting it along the trail. <coughs> for kids interested. So I think Martin would be a great one. Um you know one of the famous guys that I would I would love to have had a chance. He's he's not with us anymore, dead, but uh uh, Herbie Nyukpuk was the uh, his nickname was the Shishmaref Cannonball and uh, he was a very iconic native musher back in the day <laughs> and it would be great to talk to him because he would know all the stories about mushing growing up and when it, it wasn't really a sport it was just how they got around so that would be great and uh, maybe the last person would be Larry Thompson because he was the founder of the Iditarod Air Force. And it, it would be kind of fun to talk to him and just see how did he do the whole race all by himself that first year. That, that that would be kind of interesting to find out. So I guess those would be my top five.
2: Thanks so much for talking to us today, Wes.
1: Oh, it was great to be here. Thank you so much for the interview. And it was great to meet you. And uh, we hope to see you around the uh, visiting us here in Alaska and watch the race someday
0: special thanks to our guest Wes Erb for being on our show this week if you enjoyed this episode please stop by iTunes and leave us a review it helps with our readings also if you have any questions comments or people you'd like to hear on the show email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com if we hear from you or leave if or if you leave a review we will read it on the show we would like to also give credit to Hobo Jim for our outro song, intro song, the Iditarod Trail song, and our outro song, Reddington's Run. In the
1: land of the midnight sun, mm, they call this race the Iditarod Trail. To me, it's Reddington's Run. In my heart, it's Reddington's Run.